Guidance for a Christian Home, Part 1, for the Spouses. Okay, now you know that. So, this probably won't make people in this room uncomfortable, but it's an uncomfortable discussion. I'm going to give you a couple of recommendations right up front. Here's a book by Eleanor Daniel. Those of you who used to read the Christian Standard on a regular basis might remember the name. She's the one that was the editor for the Christian Standard for years. And if you don't know, Christian Standard uh, lesson materials, Sunday school materials, used in almost all denominations across around the world. And the Christian Standard is kind of like a, a weekly magazine for churches. Most people subscribe online. But this one, What the Bible Says About Sexual Identity, it's written by a very prominent woman in independent Christian churches, uh, Eleanor Daniel. The series, What the Bible Says About, is out of print. Uh, It's very hard to find these. You might be able to find them online, and if you email me, I might be able to help you find a digital copy. Uh, But if you see these at a garage sale, snag them. They're very good. The next book I'd like to recommend is one that definitely would not be popular outside of this room, Gender Roles and the Bible by Jack Cottrell. This has been around for a while. Both of these are printed by College Press, and today it would not be a very welcome subject in a typical public classroom, whether it's a university or elementary school or high school. It just wouldn't be a book that would be very welcome. However, Every now and then, Newsweek, Time, or some major publication will come up with something like this. You'll see this Time magazine cover here. Why are men and women different? And every now and then, they'll even say something like, boys and girls are different. It's like they discover it every so many years. There's There's a difference. Of course there's a difference. But here's a more modern cover of Time magazine. You'll see this. The Making of the Modern Male. <clears throat> I'm not sure. Do you know if the junior camp this week did the, the uh, girl day, boy day thing, the separation? You don't know? I don't know either. I wasn't there. For many years, um, in fact, I got to be there when it started. We decided to do a separation day where the boys get up at like 4.30 in the morning. It's the way it started. We get them up, we tell them the night before, we are going on a hike, we need you to gather these things, put them together in your backpack, and this is all you need, and we would provide them with trail mix and water. So we were up before the sun came up because we wanted to hike to the cross and be there as the sun's rising and talk about the creator and Jesus and what it means to be a man. And that was the start of the day. And, and as it starts, you can imagine, especially that first one, I remember very, very well, uh, boys who had not even been in the woods. They'd not, it scared them. They never, they, have, they grew up in the city. They didn't go in the woods. They're at church camp. Now they're hiking through the woods. And some are falling and scraping their knees and crying for their moms. And the men naturally responded with, your mom's not here. It's okay. It's just a scratch. What do I do? Just bleed. It'll clot. It's fine. And then we, we went back. I remember one boy fell off the porch 
and uh, cracked his head open, and I think his mom was the nurse that week, and uh, of course she had to take care of him, but um, everybody came to me like, what do we do, what do we do? And I go, hold on, I know exactly what to do. Let me get a picture of that. All right, now I'll go take him to his mom. So, and he, was, he felt like nothing. He's like, I'm tough. But anyway, we had this whole day where we separated the boys and the girls. The girls got to sleep in. They got to have bed and breakfast. Um, they got to learn all kinds of things about what it means to be a biblical woman. They got taught things that aren't taught anymore. Uh, a lot of cool things. They, they, um, they dressed up and they had like a, all kinds of girl stuff I don't even know anything about, but they had fun stuff. And then the boys mostly were outside, rain or not. You know what they started doing? They started grabbing grass. I, I made a joke when we went out there. I said, um, we're just going to be men, and we're going to, whatever we eat, we have to kill it. And I said, I'm joking. I'm joking. We're not doing that. We're bringing food. They started killing grasshoppers and roasting them and eating them. It's, it's, it, it fits. But I remember doing, uh, and by the way, the boys also, they're taught a lot about how to treat women. And every year, there was always a, a new woman volunteer who would say, um, I need to bring my husband. Can we bring my husband here so he can learn? Because what they went back and learned to do, for one thing, we had a covert operation every year. The girls are told, leave all your food on the table. The boys want to take care of that. Leave all your utensils and everything. So we'd come in, clean it up, and then the girls would, the next year, the second year, they started making cupcakes, cake, whatever. They made stuff for us to, to thank us. But we just wanted to sneak in and treat them well. And when they went back, the boys were taught, let the girls go first. And that's what they did. I watched one particular year. I watched it. It was a very, very hot day like it usually is. And I watched the boys standing in line and these girls dragging their feet, coming from the pool and just taking their time. And each time a girl would come, the boys would let them go, let them go. And then the question started to be, are they going to run out of ice cream? They had ice cream that day. They're going to run out of ice cream? Uh, I don't know. And I'm standing there listening to the comments, you know. I don't know, but it's the right thing to do. And they kept doing it, thinking they were going to run out of ice cream. And they kept doing it. It's working. But I wanted to tell you this because I, I think I messed up. I did the campfire speech uh, one of the early years. And I remember saying, oh, what's that? There's a, there's a song. I'm trying to think of a song. It's by, a, it's by a girl, real popular. It's like Baby, Baby, Baby. And somebody goes, Justin Bieber? I go, that's the girl. And I did that on, to be funny, you know, because he was wearing his hair really long and he's looking like a girl. And now he's become a Christian, so I feel guilty. I apologize. I'm confessing to you. I did a wrong thing. But I really appreciated that we had all those years, and I think they are still doing it, where the boys are separate from the girls and they come back together and they treat each other well. There's a local pastor not too far from here, uh, a Christian church pastor, uh, he came up to me after his son, who had, he's very, he was very small, hadn't hit the, the age where his voice starts changing yet, so it's very, very squirk, squirrely voice, and he goes, you, so you came up to me, this is Kyle Moffat, do you all know Kyle Moffat? And his son came up to me and said, uh, so you had a man day 
thing going on? He taught the boys how to be a man, yeah. Um, you don't explain to me why my son has painted nails now? What? So he called him over and came up to me, and I said, hey, what's going on? You, you got your nails painted? Yeah. In his little squirrely, girly voice. And uh, I said, why? And he said, well, the girls were painting their nails, and when we came back, so I, I thought, I'm man enough, just do it. <laughs> this little bitty voice, this little squirrely voice came out, I'm man enough, just do it. Uh, I was amused. But we are confused in our world today. Here's a symbol of the male and the female together. I'm sure you're familiar with that. I want to read to you from Psychology Today. If you want to look on their website, you will see this. Look up chromosomes, look up DNA, uh, male, female, however you want to look it up, you'll find this. Each human cell contains 23 pairs of chromosomes that carry DNA within their nucleus. The X and Y chromosomes, commonly referred to as the sex chromosomes, are one such pair. They determine the biological sex, reproductive organs, and sexual characteristics that develop in a person. Female XX, mammals inherit one X chromosome from each parent, but males XY receive an X from their mother and a Y sex chromosome from their father. I wanted you to read that. I know it's familiar to most, most of you and it's nothing new, but our kids are being lied to. They're being told something else. This is, you know, we talk about today, let's go with the science, go with the facts. This is the science. These are the facts. You are either male or female. That's the way you're born. And I have to do this because we're leading into something. I already told you about the text. So last week, I want to remind you of a couple of slides. I want to show you the first one that had scripture on it. Remember this one? Therefore, it started with therefore. We've had a bunch of these because Paul has been progressively leading to something. And with this particular therefore, and by the way, in chapter 5, in, if you have uh, translations that have little parenthetical notes or little uh, titles, subtitles that break it up, it might say something like, walk in love at the beginning of chapter 5. So that's really what this is about. Walk in love. And then he says, therefore, after he did all these other things, therefore. But today there is no therefore. So what we have in the text that we went through last week, therefore, and then he gave us a whole bunch of little proverbs about how to walk in love, essentially. Now look at the next slide. This is the last slide of last week. Remember this? We want to have selflessness for Christ. And I want you to pay attention to the last two verses there. I'm talking about basically walking in love and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And remember I said, you are being set up. You are. Okay. And we'll continue with that by reading the next couple of verses. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We'll get to this. We'll peel it back. I just wanted to read it. I want to show you two people. You'll see them come up behind me. Anybody recognize either one of those? Raise your hand if you recognize one. Yep. Howard Stern is the goofy guy there. Not someone I would recommend that you pay much attention to at all. However, he actually had something to do with, uh, he has something to do with someone's personal testimony in Christ. And that's the other person. Raise your hand if you know who the other person is. Okay, I'll tell you. It's Liz Curtis Higgs. Now, this is a picture of her today. Um, I want to I tell you she is very well known f- right now for writing a bunch of books, and one of them you'll see up behind me, Really Bad Girls of the Bible. She's got a series of them that started out with Bad Girls of the Bible, and then there's uh, all different kinds that follow that, and there's a bunch of other books she's written. But she has a testimony, her Christian conversion testimony typically includes Howard Stern in it. I want you to hear her tell a part of that uh, right now. Um, anybody who's traveled over my background, I and mean, this, is, this is some years ago now, we're going back to 1982. Mm. Um, when I just, I had gone in that downward spiral, just down and down, it was all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's all the stuff we did in the 70s that we thought were just fine. It was legal, well, no, it was legal. <laughs> but there were a lot of lids that were flipped off in the 70s and things that were suddenly okay to do, mm. or we thought they were. And so I ended up in the bottom of that pit, and Howard did indeed find me one day. We worked at the same radio station, and he found me at my desk doing a line of coke, and he said, oh, listen, you've got to clean your life. So if you understood that, Howard Stern walked by in the radio station, they're working in the same radio station, and told her she needed to clean up her life. Wow. But her testimony continues beyond that, obviously. He wasn't trying to lead her to Christ. He just thought, oh, she's really out of control. And if you know who Howard Stern is, that's saying a lot. And one day, a couple that also worked in the same radio station invited her to church. And she, of course, was repulsed by it. She wanted nothing to do with church. But finally, one day, she went. And the day that she attended, oh, I should tell you where she went. Look at this big, this picture behind me. I tried to take a picture of this campus on the ground, and you can't. There's just no way. Uh, that is uh, an aerial photo of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. They have multiple sites. This is one of them. If you dare, you can get online, and you can easily find their weekly worship services, which are fantastic. That's not a substitute for church attendance, but it helped us through the pandemic. And right now, they're going through Ephesians. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> and no, I'm not copying. I, don't, I haven't even listened to uh, anything lately. But so the, what, what you have there is a huge campus. You see the cars, so you can see the size of it. The worship space, it, it, it seats 10,000 people in the one worship space. The other one, I don't know how many 
uh, its seats. And that's just one of their, that's their main campus. But she was invited to this church. And she went. And she sat with the couple. And here she is, a single person who is out of control with all kinds of bad stuff she's doing. And she's a shock jock. But here she is at the radio, uh, invited by, the, at, by these people at the radio station. She goes to the church. She sits there. And what does the preacher do the very time that she came to church that first Sunday? I'll tell you what the preacher did. He read a passage. I'll show you this passage right behind me. I just read that to you. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. One of many men's favorite. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Men like to throw around verses like that. I I must tell you that um, some people read this and they say, well, Paul was a chauvinist. You heard this? Well, if you say that, then what you're saying is, because this is God's inspired word, that God is a chauvinist. And we don't want to say that. So that would be wrong. And so would Paul was a chauvinist. That'd be wrong. There you go. Good job, JC. Buzzed me. But look at it. It's, uh, it's very, very powerful language. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It goes in to explain it. And uh, I, I got to tell you about Liz Curtis Higgs and her testimony because She's already repulsed by being invited to church. She finally caves in and she goes, and then she hears this. This is not what she wanted to hear. But as the preacher moved on, and we'll get to that passage where it says, where it describes husbands to be like the Lord, how how he loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loved her that much. She turned to her friend and said, you show me a man that's willing to die for me, and I'll marry him. And her friend taught her about Jesus. There is someone who did die for you. And the lady was intrigued. So much so that somebody at some point invited her to join the choir. And she had experienced singing in a choir, so she joined the choir. She had no commitment to Christ, but she joined the choir. And one Sunday morning, while the preacher offered the invitation and the choir got in place, he offered it to anyone in the room who needed to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, anybody who's been pushing that away is finally willing to welcome him. And she stepped down from the choir steps and accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior that morning and was baptized into Christ that morning. And if you're interested in her life, follow it out. It's, it's, It's cool. She's a comedian. She's very fun to listen to. But this is powerful language. Wives, submit to your husbands like we're supposed to submit to Christ, like the church is supposed to submit to Christ. That's powerful. And and it's such strong language. I don't know if you, we we say these things, we say them um, tongue-in-cheek. We we say it, I I don't know if we do it to lighten things or, or what, but we say the husband is supposed to be the head of the household. When this verse actually says head of the wife. Did you catch that? That's, that's strong language. Stronger than head of the household. So what do we got going on here? And Paul's going to later talk about this. I'm talking to you about a very serious mystery. 
Remember, he's been talking about this mystery. Look at this. And he's going to talk in this text. He's going to explain it. But I want to show you a chart I've shown you before, but I took some things out of it so that it's simplified. Now, this is my chart that I created to kind of illustrate why, in my personal opinion, and I think it's, uh, I think it's good or I wouldn't be sharing it with you, um, why God wants the fathers to lead. Why does he want men to lead? Why? Because certainly the case could be argued that there's plenty more women that are more capable in many situations. But why? Well, first I want to ask you this question. So I've got a perfect parenting chart, and you've got, you know, uh, I'll explain a little bit like I have in the past, but if you're going to talk about the maternal versus the paternal side of God, and I ask the question, which side would the cross be on? Look behind me. You'll see where we're going to put the cross. Would it be on the grace side or the faith side, the maternal side or the paternal side? It would be on the maternal side. It's all about grace. It's all about the love of God. So if the cross fits on the maternal side of God, certainly the maternal side of God is very important. But why does God emphasize so much the men? Why does he emphasize fathers? Why? When the mothering part is where the cross goes. This is my explanation. So if you're going to aim for perfect parenting, knowing you're going to fail, then the, to be safe, it would be better to aim on... Notice crosshairs moving behind me. Watch where it lands. I believe that it would be safer to land a little more on the paternal side than the maternal side. The reason why I believe this is because of this. If you go too far extreme on the maternal side of perfect parenting, in other words, if the mother is the one who wears the pants and the mother makes all of the parenting decisions, she just tells the husband how it's going to be done. If she's the one doing this, and she's the one that rules the roost, then the kids might grow up thinking God's more gracious than he is. In other words, um, if you end up in a home that is too gracious, too lenient, you could end up with kids thinking all the time, that ah, doesn't matter, mom will take care of it. Doesn't matter, she'll forgive me. Doesn't matter. And so if you live your life like that, thinking about God the Father, doesn't matter if I do this sin. Doesn't matter if I do that. Sin. He'll forgive me. <laughs> He'll forgive me. Doesn't matter. I'll just do it. What if you? Doesn't that jeopardize your the safety of your soul? If you live like that, you're not living to please the Lord. You're living to please yourself because it doesn't matter. He'll forgive you. But what if you live your life and it's too extreme? That it's too strict. It's too firm. Which many of us who are raised in Christian homes could might take the position that I think, I think my parents were too strict. My dad was too strict. And I would never advocate for any type of abuse or neglect. But if you're going to be a little too strict, and at the end of it all, it could be said, you were too strict. Because your dad, your dad, he wore the pants in the family. And it was too strict. Mom thought it was too strict. But he, he led the family, so it's too strict. So the kids might grow up thinking, every time I mess up, I'm going to hell. 
That might be their view of God. You know, every time I mess up, and that's not true. That's not biblically, that's incorrect. Every time you sin doesn't mean you're going to hell. Every time you sin, you're not outside of salvation. Sin separates you from God. You need to correct it, modify your behavior, and right the wrongs as best you can with God and others. But if you live your life on earth thinking, if I mess up, if I, that little mess up is going to cause me to go to hell, you can live your life thinking that you're not sure if you're going to heaven. And you should know that you're going to heaven. But the error still keeps you saved. Does that make sense? If you grow up thinking, every time I mess up, I'm going to hell. That's wrong. That's incorrect. It's false doctrine. But you're still trying to please the Father. You might miss joy on earth not knowing that you're going to heaven, for sure, but you are because you're trying to please the Father. Does that make sense? So if, if we follow God's plan and we have a Christian home where the Father is the lead and sometimes He's going to be too strict. Just, so if you're going to aim for perfect parenting but you know you're going to fail, God in His infinite wisdom knows that if we lean more on the Father for the leadership in the home, then we're probably going to have more homes with people who are trying to please the Father but might not be confident of their own salvation. They miss some joy on earth, but they make it to heaven. Does that make sense? What a loving father. I think that's a good design. <clears throat> and if you want to argue about it, I'm fine with that because it's my opinion, and I'd love to learn whatever your perspective is. Now let's go back to that passage again. You'll see it up behind me. There, I've already read it, so I'm not going to read it again. But I want to emphasize this thing, because it says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's so uncomfortable. And those men who want to say, submit to your husband, submit. You hear that, woman? It says submit. But men who want to take it to the extreme and talk like that, uh, that's inappropriate. It's wrong. And if you're acting like that, you're definitely not following Scripture. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to pay attention. I told you you were being set up. Let's go ahead and put the last verses back up there again. I read them already. Notice that last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The same exact passage says to submit to one another. Did you catch that? Husbands. Did you see that? And, and, and then it's going to go on and explain to us what Christ did as he submitted to the Father, how much he demonstrated his love for his bride, the church. Look at the next verse in our text. We'll read a, a few of them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, the bride she spins in a typical wedding, even today, even though we're continually trying to push away some good traditions we have, the bride is supposed to be pure. She's not supposed to be contaminated before she's married. And to symbolize that, we have white dresses. They spend a lot of time in the back room of the church somewhere, and they're, they're doing their hair, they're doing their makeup, they're crying, doing their makeup again. They're, they're help, others are helping them put on their stuff. And the groom's not supposed to see her till she comes out because that's special. And when she comes out, 
everybody in the room on cue stands because the bride is here. And they all look at her. And, and everybody marvels at this person they know. Like, wow, look how beautiful she is. There's a lot of energy spent on highlighting her beauty. In fact, at a, at a typical traditional wedding, they even have a veil, and she's beautiful, and then she comes up to the front, and you see she's more beautiful than you thought because then the veil is lifted, and now, wow, look at her. That's the way it's done. And the bride is supposed to look pure and beautiful without fault and blemish. That's the way the wedding is supposed to go. And it would not go very well if the bride comes all the way up and all this grand stuff happens and here's the bride and the groom and it wouldn't go well. It doesn't matter if it's the bride's brother. It doesn't matter if it's a friend of somebody who's there. If somebody in the room says, she ain't that pretty in the middle of the wedding after she just took the veil back, wow, the husband, or about to be, the groom is going to want to hurt you if you do that. And so is the father of the bride and most people in the room. You don't do that. And and the groom especially wants his bride, wants everybody to see her as beautiful. I'm not going to have any of that at the wedding. It's going to be everybody sees my beautiful bride. And this is the way the, that Christ wants to see the church. He wants to see us without fault or blemish, beautiful, pure, and holy. But this, this wedding thing is supposed to symbolize the way the marriage is supposed to be. And weddings nowadays have added a tradition that ought not be there. And I've done well over 100 weddings. And I always tell when we have premarital counseling, I always tell these young people at, at the end uh, or at the, after your wedding's over and we do the reception, I will be there and I'm going to try not to judge you but know that I already have judged a lot of other people. I, I, I think it's wrong for you to shove cake in each other's face because that sets the tone for the wrong message for your marriage. And I have watched in the back of the room, I watched it happen many times where the cake gets shoved in the face anyway, or they don't. And I hear the comments. If, if, a, if people shove cake in each other's face at their wedding, people talk amongst themselves. Oh, we know how this is going to go. And if they don't, people talk, oh, they're going to be nice. Wasn't that nice? What do you want said about you? you know? So I encourage people, don't do that. We, if you start the wedding off by trying to make the other person look bad in front of everyone, how are you going to treat them when you're out with friends at a restaurant? or watching a football game, or whatever it is, a family gathering. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives in such a way that you would be willing to die for her, and she knows it. So there's no way you would insult her. You're not going to do that. She, you're supposed to present her as without fault, blameless, pure, and holy. So you'd you don't talk bad about her, and you don't make her feel bad in front of other people. You care for her. This is the way Christ demonstrated his love for the church. He wants the bride to be beautiful, so he died for her. And if more 
women knew that their husbands would die before they would allow her to look bad to anybody. Be a lot more happy marriages, wouldn't you say? And that's biblical. I know we got the world telling us all kinds of other things, but there's a bunch of unhappy people. If they just listen to this, they might find how to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and find some happiness and peace here on earth. All right. I'm going to give you this one more piece. So as you think about this grand concept, you're supposed to be thinking about this mystery that he'll mention in just a minute, this mystery about the, the bride and the groom, Christ and his church. And ultimately at the very end of it all, in his second coming, which most of us are thinking, why hasn't he already returned? But in his second coming, he wants his bride to look beautiful, holy and pure. What, what a glorious day. This is something, it, it, it's, it's what we aim for, heaven. And if you, husbands, treat your wives the way you're supposed to, it's quite possible you could have a taste of heaven on earth. Someone once said, and I think it's wisdom, treat her like a queen if you want any chance of being treated like a king. So, so many men think, Okay, wives, submit. That's where it starts. No, that's not where it starts. It starts with treat her the way Christ treated the church. You treat her like that, you don't even have to talk about the submit piece. Okay, so we'll move on in the text. Next slide. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's a quote out of Genesis. You can see the reference up behind me. If you click that, JC, it'll pop up. There you go. Genesis 2, 24. but going back up to the top piece in verse 28 and 29, it's interesting because people will say, well, I don't don't really love myself. Well, you feed yourself. You get yourself sleep. You rest. You you know, you buy yourself things. Um, You're supposed to love your wife more than that. But notice in verse 31, uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Did you know that the wives are not told that in the Bible. There is supposed to be more of an umbilical cord severance when the husband takes his bride. He separates more from his family because there is no mention of her doing that in the Bible. So it's reasonable to understand this, that husbands, you, you have to separate more from your family. She's, she's not told she has to. And if we would get that, there would be more happy marriages as well. Too many times husbands want to get married and control it in such a way that wife's supposed to 
distance from the family. No, 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 it's the other way around. Not, not saying you have to cut off all relationships, but husbands, when you marry your wife, she becomes the priority over your family. I don't know if you're catching this, but there's an emphasis of the responsibility of the husbands. It's not just husbands are better at leading, so they're going to lead. No, it doesn't even say that. You have a responsibility to lead, and this is the way you have to do it. You have a lot of accountability. I want to take you back to, remember the last series we did was through the letters of Peter. So I want to take you back to a passage in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 7 and following. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is also, people read this and they'll say, oh, there you go, see? Chauvinist, well, this isn't Paul, this is Peter, and he was married. But it, this part about the weaker vessel thing, it bothers people. What God's saying is, husbands, you are far more capable of hurting her than she is you. Between the two of you, you can crush her spirit far more than she can yours. So, so imagine it like this. Imagine that someone, in, uh, someone has given you something through the generations in your family, you have this precious item. Let's say it's a vessel. Let's say it's a vase. Close to vessel? It's a, that could be a vessel. Um, uh, let's say it's been in the family for generations and it's already got a few cracks in it because people weren't that careful. So you put it wherever in your house so it's safe and you keep it in a place where, you know, people aren't going to mishandle it. You got to understand the reason why you do that is because you've given it value because it's irreplaceable. That's the way you're supposed to see your wives. She's valuable. She's irreplaceable. That's the way it's supposed, she's supposed to know this. Because if you mishandle her, you could break her. God doesn't want that. And too many of us, when I say it that way, too many of us, our minds go to a place. Some of us think things like, I know somebody who's been broken. Some of us think, I have been broken. Some of us might ought to be thinking, I have broken someone. Don't ignore this. This says that your prayers will be hindered. Did you catch that? If you don't treat her properly, your prayers could be hindered. So treat her well so that your prayers are not hindered. That's why I wanted to bring up what Peter said, because I thought it was relevant. Okay, let's look at the last part of the passage we've got today. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We got that. We've gone now over that. However... Verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself. <laughs> Stop for a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does God really know as we're going through this? Are we supposed to, as we read this, did you catch a shift here? 
because he was addressing wives, he's addressing husbands, and now he's talking about the church. And then he says, however, is, are you catching a shift? The emphasis is once again back on the men. He wants, this is, this is very narrowly focused. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If those elements are there, if she knows you would die for her, before you would allow anyone to see a fault of hers. That's good. And ladies, there's a piece for you here. I hope you catch this. One of those things that if you, if you really want to chop the feet out from under a man, your husband, that you care about, make sure he knows you don't respect him. You make sure he knows you don't respect him, and you failed as a Christian woman. That's what this is saying. You have to respect your husband. You might not act respectable, but there's some things you got to highlight and focus on and tell him you respect about him. Show him respect as best you can, and God will bless your marriage. Same thing for husbands. I've already given you all that information. Let's pray. God help us in this confused world in which we live. So many things are thrown at us that are just false. But you've given us clear instruction in your word. God, we want to we do better at how we follow it, even in our own marriages. And what we teach our children, examples that we set for others, what we, what we allow to go into our minds, how we see others, and how we treat others. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. We want the, our church to represent Christian marriages so that people can get this glimpse of the relationship that you want to have with your church. Thank you for setting such a good example for us to follow. Help us to do our part. In Jesus' name, amen.